Welcome to Since You Asked with Jim Barrier on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Send Jim your questions about the Bible and Christianity to jim at cgmradio.com. Subscribe to Since You Asked by visiting us online at cgmradio.com slash ask. And now, here's your host, Jim Barrier. On February 8th this year, news came out of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. It erupted on social media and has been the subject of radio programs and even garnered reports from Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Immediately, people began questioning the outbreak, which has come to be known as the Asbury Revival. The main question being asked is, is this a revival? Before you can answer that question, you need to answer the question, what is revival? Well, since you asked. Other words used in connection with the word revival are renewal, as in the charismatic renewal, awakening, as in the great awakening, or movement, as in the Jesus movement. The word revival is not found in the Bible, but then neither is the word trinity, and I'm certain of the reality of the triune Godhead. The word revive is found in Scripture, and it means to bring back to life. As in the Scripture in Habakkuk 3, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I stand in awe. Lord, revive your work in our day. In our time, make it known. And in Psalm 80, Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Psalm 85, Will you not revive us again, so that your people may rejoice in you? And Isaiah 57, This is what the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. And perhaps the most popular verse that people quote about revival is in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. In order to better understand the subject of revival, let's take a look at some of the famous revivals in history, beginning in the Old Testament. First, there is the story of Jonah. To begin with, the prophet himself had to repent in the belly of the great fish. After his personal revival, he preached to Nineveh, and they repented from the king to the beggar in the street. Often lost in this story is the crew on the boat that Jonah boarded while running from God's call on his life. After they threw Jonah overboard at his suggestion, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Revival will spill on to the most unlikely candidates. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. Israel was in captivity, and the walls of the holy city were in ruin. And Nehemiah cried out to God in prayer of repentance, 
and God heard him, and the walls were then restored. Revival will restore lives that are in ruin. Asa removed the idols and restored the altar of the Lord. He even removed his grandmother from her position as queen mother for having an abominable image. Revival will produce holiness. The New Testament church began when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard him, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, so that there were added about three thousand souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. The church continued to spread with periodic times of great revival. When Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf was 27 years old, he took into his home a single Moravian refugee. Moravians were from the region of the Czech Republic who were being persecuted by the Catholic Church. Before long, Zinzendorf had 300 Moravian refugees living in his estate, and he became their spiritual leader. They lived in the village called Hernhut, Germany. Under Zinzendorf's leadership, they prayed together, studied the Bible together, and grew spiritually together. On August 12, 1727, they conducted an all-night prayer meeting. The group decided to start a prayer vigil, and they designated a place of prayer in the village, and they prayed in groups of two or three for one-hour increments. For 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Two to three people were always praying in the place of prayer. This around-the-clock prayer meeting went on for 110 years. One of the churches that the Moravians started sent out 200 missionaries. One of the Moravian missionary teams voluntarily sold themselves into slavery so that they could identify with the slaves and share the gospel with them. The Great Awakening in 1734, featured preachers Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and John Wesley. An estimated 80% of America's 900,000 colonists personally heard Whitfield preach. Wesley was greatly influenced by those Moravians we mentioned. His following became the Methodist movement, who became leaders in many social issues of the day, including abolition of slavery and prison reform. Interestingly, Edwards and Whitfield were staunch Calvinists, while Wesley was an Armenian in persuasion. The Lord worked in spite of their theological differences. In the Second Great Awakening, which began around 1800, when James McGreedy presided over camp meetings in Logan County, Kentucky, that drew thousands from as far away as Ohio. 
In 1801, Barton W. Stone led a revival where upwards of 30,000 people descended upon Cane Ridge, Kentucky, a town of only 6,000 people. As many as 3,000 were converted. By the way, Cane Ridge is 46 miles away from Asbury. Reverend Gardner Spring reported that for the next 25 years, not a single month passed without news of revival somewhere. By 1811, approximately one-third of all Americans had attended one of those meetings. This awakening also featured the fiery preacher Charles Grandison Finney, who is credited with giving the first altar calls. Without the aid of microphones, PA systems, or mass media, he would win half a million converts to Christ, and it is claimed that 80% of those converts remained true to their faith their whole life. Finney promoted abolition and equal education for women and African Americans. He was the second president of Oberlin College in Ohio, whose faculty and students were activists for abolitionism and the Underground Railroad. Oberlin graduated the first women and African Americans in our country. In 1800, only one in 15 of America's population of 5.3 million belonged to an evangelical church. By 1850, the nation's population quadrupled to 23 million, but those connected to evangelical churches grew nearly tenfold, from 350,000 to 3 million members. In 1806, five young men from Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts, James Richards, Francis LeBaron Robbins, Harvey Loomis, Byron Green, and the group's leader, Samuel John Mills, met together to pray and discuss theology and missionary service near a grove of maple trees. A thunderstorm rolled in overhead. Lightning and rain forced them to take shelter in a haystack. As the storm raged, the students prayed. Samuel Mills felt that instead of sending things like Bibles and humanitarian goods to foreign missions, they should send themselves. Four of them committed to become missionaries. Six years later, the first missionaries from America set sail for foreign lands. It became known as the Haystack Prayer Meeting. In 1857, Jeremiah Calvin Lanfear began to host a lunch hour prayer meeting in New York City. Only six men showed up on the first day, but by the next year, 10,000 men were praying daily at what became known as the Businessmen's Revival of 1857. The revival spread across the country and led to an estimated one million believers being added to church rolls. D.L. Moody participated in the Great Urban Revival of 1857 in Chicago. Moody later conducted revivals through the British Isles, where he spoke to more than two and a half million people. And in 1875, he returned home and began revivals in America's biggest cities. Hundreds of thousands were converted. An estimated 300,000 soldiers were converted in both the Southern and Northern armies during the Civil War in the revival of 1863. In 1904, 
Evan Roberts led the Welsh Revival. Within two years, 100,000 converts were added to the Welsh Church. More than 5 million came to Christ as the revival spread throughout the world. Word of the revival spread to Welsh-speaking settlers in Pennsylvania. By 1905, local revivals broke out in places like Brooklyn, Michigan, Denver, Schenectady, Nebraska, North and South Carolina, Georgia, Taylor University, Yale University, and wait for it, Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Billy Sunday, who became a key figure about this time, preached to more than 100 million people with an estimated 1 million or more conversions. The San Francisco earthquake happened in April of 1906. That same month, Los Angeles shook when William J. Seymour, an African-American holiness pastor, blind in one eye, went candidate for a pastoral job. But after he preached, he was locked out of the second service. He began a prayer meeting in a nearby home, and the Spirit of God fell which they called the second blessing. After many months of concerted prayer, eventually the crowds became so large that they acquired a dilapidated church building where the Azusa Street Revival meetings continued for three years. It is considered to be the beginning of the modern Pentecostal movement. The baby boom happened after World War II, but there was another boom called the post-war awakening. In 1947, Billy Graham began his famous crusades, and in 1950, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association was founded. In 1953, Graham took down ropes that organizers had erected in order to segregate the audience into racial sections. He told two ushers to leave them down, or he said, you can go on and have the revival without me. He also made a commitment to never be alone with a woman other than his wife. This became known as the Billy Graham Rule. In 1951, Bill Bright began Campus Crusade for Christ. Bright, in 1959, developed the Four Spiritual Laws, which have been used to win millions to Christ. Campus Crusades spawned such ministries as the Christian World Liberation Front, Explo 72, Athletes in Action, the Christian Embassy, the Jesus Film Project, and Josh McDowell Ministries. The New York Times reported at one point Campus Crusade had 25,000 missionaries in 191 countries. The cover of Time Magazine's April 8, 1966 issue read, Is God Dead? By June 21, 1971, Time displayed a picture of Jesus with the title, The Jesus Revolution. It was during the Jesus movement of the late 60s that I became a follower of Christ, along with millions of other young people. It began to incorporate youth culture into evangelical churches. One of the significant results was the formation of contemporary Christian music and modern praise and worship music. Even on secular radio, songs like 
Spirit in the Sky, My Sweet Lord, No Happy Day topped the charts. Even if some of those artists weren't Christians and their theology was off, spiritual messages were popular. Celebrities began to claim to be born again. That revival spread to college campuses around the country, including, you guessed it, the 1970 Asbury College Revival in Wilmore, Kentucky. I attended a church in those days that began with 12 members. By the time I came along, it was running about 200. Young people with long hair and casual dress were coming to Christ. One night, we had a baptism service, and the kids who were getting baptized invited all their friends. During the service, young people began running down to the front crying, I want to be baptized. I want to be a Christian. We wound up baptizing over 60 young people that night, and that church grew to over 3,500 people on Sunday. That was revival. On Father's Day, 1995, Steve Hill preached on repentance at Brownsville Assembly of God Church in Pensacola, Florida. Revival broke out and continued for five years. I had a friend on staff there, and I visited a couple of times. And what's happening in Asbury seems familiar. Is what's taking place there a revival? I have close friends who have been there, one of them a former student at Asbury. They assure me that it is genuine. The things I'm hearing are encouraging. After all, young people are coming to Christ. Believers are repenting. People are hungry for God. Isn't that what we pray for? Isn't that what we desire? Isn't that revival? Time will tell if this is in the league of the past revivals of history. Here are some elements that I think are trademark to true revival. Revival usually comes at a time of moral and spiritual decline. I'd say America is ripe. Revival begins with God's people. Remember, revive means to bring back to life. We need the breath of the Holy Spirit to fill us and restore spiritual life. Revival is a response of the Holy Spirit to the spiritual hunger of men and women. We must want it at all cost. Revival is a result of people praying. And there are specific things that prayer is centered on. Conviction of sin, confession of sin, repentance of sin. God will not visit the self-congratulatory religious elite who pray, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that sinner over there. He's waiting to hear, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Revival is founded on the Word of God. It must be studied in earnest, like the Bereans in the book of Acts. It must be preached with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, without compromise or apology. Revival will bear fruit. Evidence will be manifest in believers. Unbelievers will become believers. New ministries will result. Lives will be forever changed and its legacy will last. Years ago, 
I had the privilege of sitting under the ministry of the great revivalist Leonard Ravenhill. He said, The only reason we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. That's a sobering thought. Let me close with Habakkuk's prayer that I read at the top of this podcast. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I stand in awe. Lord, revive your work in our day. In our time, make it known. Amen. Since You Asked is a production of Jim Barrier and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash ask. Music